In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We are absolutely about everyone coming home safe. And that's one of the reasons why, even though this podcast is called the OGGN HSE podcast, it's not just for HSE folks, but for everybody. However, today we are going to be dealing specifically with the HSE professional. Someone sent in a review not long ago and they said they were a new HSE professional and this podcast was a valuable education resource for them. And ironically enough, we're going to be interviewing a seasoned HSE professional. And when he transitioned from a safety role in the construction industry to the oil and gas industry, he did the same thing. We appreciate hearing from you. Let us know how this podcast can help you. And please let our sponsor, Anderson Hauser, know. Look in the show notes for our website link, cx.endress.com forward slash HSE dash podcast and register for our monthly podcast giveaway. Endress and Hauser is a global leader in process automation and measurement instrumentation. Endress and Hauser, the people for process automation. All right. So let me introduce Levi. It seems like I always get the most, I get great guests on the show, but but they oftentimes have very difficult names, especially since this is a show with an international flavor and we interview people from France and England and Canada. And so is it Pewterball? <laughs> well, that depends on who you ask. I pronounce it Putterball. Putterball. Okay. Yes, yes, sir. People within my own family pronounce it Pewterball. So it just a, depends on who you ask. I'm told it's a German nationality. Well, it sounds German. So now you're not in Germany, are you? No, sir. I'm in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Okay. Of course, people will be listening to this podcast, you know, at different times, but ironically enough, they may not know we're actually recording this podcast on Groundhog Day. <laughs> we'll see if it repeats itself then, huh? <laughs> now that's not Pennsylvania where the where the groundhog comes out, is it? It's not far from Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. No, I'm I'm in Cannonsburg, just just outside of Pittsburgh. Just outside of Pittsburgh. Okay. All right. You don't know whether he saw a shadow today or not, do you? I have not looked. Okay. With all the snow out there, I, I wouldn't doubt it. You got you got a lot of snow there, huh? Yeah, we got hit over the last couple of days. We probably got a good six inches out there. Oh wow. Okay, so Levi, you're a 10-year HSE professional, and currently you are the HSE manager for Great Lakes Wellhead, but you didn't start in oil and gas, as I mentioned in the introduction, so let's talk about how you got there. I want to explore a little bit your career in, in HSE, and we'll talk about how you transitioned from the construction industry to oil and gas, but I suspect there's probably a lot of similarities in the two industries. So I'll just let you take it from there. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I spent the better part of about 20 years in the construction industry, started at, at the field level. I worked as a an iron worker and a carpenter. And about the last seven years of that 20-year Span in the construction industry, I got into a safety role. I got hired as a full-time safety manager for an industrial contractor. Okay. Now, how did you do that? I mean, what brought you to the safety role? Just being in the field and working and dealing with 
some of the regulations and, and understanding the struggles from from the field side of it, I started getting interested in it. I was actually working on a project as an iron worker. We were building a tunnel approach for, they did a big boring project in downtown Seattle. And so we were working on these, they were about eight foot wide steel columns, their caissons, and they're laying horizontally. You would have to walk on the top of it. Technically, you were more than four feet off the ground in, in construction at six feet. Nonetheless, we were more than six feet on, off the ground, and so they, they required us to tie off. It actually created more of a, of a hazard, and, and so through conversations with the safety professional that was there at the time that was working for that contractor, we came up with putting guardrails on the side of it versus tying off it. So she actually asked me if I'd be interested in, in a safety career because it was rather than just arguing with her, telling, telling her this is, it doesn't work to tie off, we, I helped her come up with a better solution. So that's kind of what sparked my interest. Being able to solve problems out in the field in a creative way rather than you know, just reading through a book and saying, well, you must tie off. Well, there's, there's, other, there's other ways out there. So you went back to school and studied occupational safety and health? Yeah, that's correct. I started my program actually in emergency management. They dissolved that program about two quarters in. So I transitioned all my credits and moved my focus to occupational safety and health. And it's been the best move I've ever made. I, I absolutely love being in safety, working with people, and, and just being able to come up with creative solutions to make sure everybody's working safe and, and have a safe workplace that they're, that they're coming to every day. You just, if people were listening carefully and if they weren't, I'm going to, I'm going to go back. You just hit the nail on the head. You love working with safety. And if you're going to be an HSE, you know, obviously if you're going to be in anything, you need to, to like what you're doing, but you really have to be, I hate to say this, but unfortunately that's changing now with people getting the type of education like you were talking about but a lot of times companies would do you have a safety program oh yeah we got a safety program you know and of course it's some boilerplated thing that was that was they paid one of those consulting agencies five hundred dollars for you know and they don't even know where it is and, and then well who's in charge of your safety program oh well that's you know Russell's in charge of the, the safety program. Well, well, Russell's the sales manager, you know, for the drilling fluid side of the company or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. But so not only do you have to have the passion for safety, but you also have to, you also have to have the people skills. And a lot of times for people who are in HSE, that's so critical to understand that it's not about showing up with the safety manual or, or showing up to the to the safety meeting and saying, you know, here it is. These are the rules and, and the regulations. And when people say, well, why do we have to do this? Well, because it's because that's what the safety manual says you have to do. Sure. You got to be able to work with folks. You got to be able to get them to buy. You really got to get them to see that the safety really is about we want to make sure everybody comes home safely tonight. Yeah. The people are the program. The rules are there and they're in place for a reason. You know, they're written in blood, as they say. Somebody at some point paid. That's why, you know, that's why those rules exist. Now, you know, reading it in a book and then applying it in the field are two different things. That's really what I enjoy is, is figuring out creative ways to, you know, apply the safety rules and, and get our jobs done in, in a safe fashion. 
So speaking of, of education and for the HSE professional who's, you know, trying to enhance his career and, and try to, to be the best he can at his job, there's other things out there. I noticed that you were what's called an OSHA 10 and 30 trainer. Sure. Yeah. In construction, and, and it applies to oil and gas as well, but in construction, you know, they really hang their hat on the OSHA 10 and, and OSHA 30. So there's a series of courses that you can take both that are either specifically for construction or then there's a specific set for, for general industry. So I can teach the OSHA 10 and OSHA 30 for the construction industry rather than renewing that. Basically, I had to get a second certification for the oil and gas. I opted to get the PEC core authorized trainer, which is essentially, it's the same materials as OSHA 10 and OSHA 30. It also has H2S and it's specifically directed towards oil and gas. Okay. So PEC core training, what's PEC? So PEC, I'm a PEC core instructor. It covers essentially all the same topics that OSHA 10 and, and OSHA 30 does, but it's a little more directed oil and gas specific. So there's 54 topics that are covered in the PEC core class. It's a three-day course and it covers everything from back safety to h2s confined space the thing that i really enjoy about it is you can you know depending on on what aspect of the business you're in you can tailor your course to your specific needs so being in the pressure control aspect of the business i focus a lot on lifting and rigging and confined spaces, the, the things that are more specific to what we deal with on a daily basis. So you actually, you actually are an H2S clear instructor. That's correct. Yeah. As a part of the core course, you cover H2S. H2S clear is a secondary course. It's an eight hour course that would allow somebody, it gives them the basics of how to enter an H2S atmosphere. You would still have to follow up with respirator fit testing and all the all that kind of information but but it it's just a little more in depth i like to run all of our guys through that just as a precautionary that's one of the big hazards out there especially in our michigan branch so you actually teach this to your guys yourself or you send them to a certification course yeah that's correct i teach it myself i went through the authorized trainer program through pec and so we do that in-house there's options to send guys out as well. It just works out better for us to, for me to do it in-house. And, and then, like I said, I can tailor it a, a little more specific to what we deal with. So how did you transition from the construction industry to oil and gas? <laughs> a long story short, I worked for an industrial contractor, did a lot of work at Boeing plants, large manufacturing plants. I went to a project in New Mexico for... I was supposed to be there for six months, and 18 months later, I started looking for a, a new job just for the simple fact that I, I didn't want to go back to Seattle due to the housing prices. So I applied on Indeed, Great Lakes Wellhead, interviewed me and ended up hiring me. And so I subsequently, I moved to Pennsylvania, and I cover Pennsylvania, Ohio, and and Michigan, where the the three branches of Great Lakes are located. 
So, you know, when, when you and I were talking, of course, we talked about, as we've discussed, obviously the, you know, safety, you know, overlaps no matter what, what industry that you're in, although there are specific things, you know, you, you're probably not going to have to deal with H2S and construction or whatever, but heavy equipment and cranes and lifts and confined spaces and all that sort of thing there, that's a part of every industry and safety topic that has to be addressed. But you and I were talking when you went into the oil and gas side, you were very green as far as oil and gas goes, but you actually found that in some ways to be an advantage. Tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just being a fresh set of eyes, not having, I call it the 30 year blinders, you know, guys in I don't whatever industry you're in, you get used to doing things a certain way. And that just becomes kind of habit and and normal to you when you're stepping in from the outside. There were certain things that that stuck out to me that as you know, not necessarily wrong, but that I would ask a lot of questions about. So one of the things specifically that I was able to kind of utilize that green greenness, if you will, I was out on a project. We were installing some frack stacks. They had a manual valve that was about 10 foot off the ground. The contractor didn't want us using ladders to access it for for safety reasons. We couldn't get the aerial lift in there close enough to operate it. So I had seen in manufacturing plants where you'd have a chain that, you know, ran the hand wheel. So a chain wheel to operate the valve. And so we, we had to modify the hand wheel to make it work, but we went ahead and did that. And, you know, we engineered out the need to access from a height and the guys were, I mean, they were tickled to death. They, they, they thought it was the best idea since sliced bread. And, and to me, it was, I'd seen it quite a bit. So it was nothing special, but it worked out well. You know, trying to gain insight into the oil and gas industry, as, as you mentioned in the introduction, I actually found this HSE oil and gas safety podcast. So I would listen to this every day on my drive in and on my way home and then research through through different platforms as well. And so I really think in time that it helps you to just have that fresh set of eyes. So to recap for people out there who are uh, really trying to, to learn how to, to be better in their field, I think what I've heard from you is, first of all, the importance of keep educating yourself. Absolutely expand your area of knowledge, stay fresh, and listen to this podcast. Yeah, I absolutely would would listen to this podcast on my way to and from work and get some insight into the industry. And, you know, you'd hear something that piqued your interest and you'd start researching on that specific topic. And then that would kind of lead you down a rabbit hole to another area. So I absolutely use this podcast as an educational tool. Well, and we, we hope that's the whole goal of this podcast. When somebody gets through listening, they say, hey, I took something away that was worthwhile. It was worth my time listening to this. And I wasn't bored in the process. I want to just throw in a little thing here about the staying fresh approach. What you call what what you call it? The 30 year what? The 30 year blinders. The 30 year blinders. And I think I've I may have told this story before on this podcast, but it's been a long time ago, but I had a friend, I won't go into all the details, but he had a friend who was in the Air Force, I believe it was, and he was a skydiver instructor. 
and he actually got my friend started in skydiving. And then this guy, of course, he, he was transferred to another place and my friend, you know, was transferred to another place. And ironically enough, they, after several years, wound up in the same area and it was actually here in Texas, close to the, to the Houston area. And my friend found out about this and he said, I'm, you know, I'm going to go visit my, my skydiver instructor. So he goes out to where the skydiver instructor was a little private airport out of the Houston area, Northwest Houston area. And so he asked for him and they said, well, well, don't you know, they said, you know, he's dead. And my friend said, my friend said, what? And said, did he get sick? They said, no, he died in a skydiving accident. And my friend said, that's impossible. I mean, this guy has, you know, thousands and thousands of jumps. Uh, you know, there's, there's no way he could have died in a skydiving accident. And they said, yeah, said he jumped out, made a jump and his parachute didn't open. And of course that's happened to him, you know, dozens of times. And he was just so confident that he could repack the parachute and make it go. And this time he didn't, and he didn't pull his emergency cord and his overconfidence cost him his life, you know, not staying fresh, not staying green. Just those 30 year blinders make you complacent. Yeah. And it only takes that once, you know, I I've been told many a time, so we've been doing it this way for, for 30 years. Why change now? Well, you know, we used to, run with horse and buggy and, and then the automobile came out. So there's, there's always something new to look forward to. Well, I think that's a good point. And so Levi, we really appreciate you, you coming on and, and sharing your perspective as an HSE professional, but let's talk about one other thing before we end the podcast with these wellhead valves, you saw a particular safety problem and set out to kind of, I guess, come up with a, with a solution yourself. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah. We, developed a lifting lug that it threads directly onto the UN8 thread series stud on a wellhead valve. It can be used, you know, for valves, multiple valves, so frack stacks, bridges, or, or large spools. So when I, you know, first got on with Great Lakes Wellhead and, and we were lifting valves and utilizing some different methods, I researched and I couldn't find anything on the market that actually threaded directly onto the stud. To me, it's the safest, most efficient way to do it. So I had some manufactured and over the last couple of years, we've secured a patent on them and I've been using them in the field for, for a couple of years now. And, and, and they work really well. We've, we've set entire frack stacks with them. They have a nine and a half ton working load limit. I've pull tested it to over 90 tons and the stud still threads in and threads out just as, as would expected. So really excited about it. I think it's going to be something that folks in the industry will find as a useful tool and it speeds up efficiency and, and increases safety. So I'm really excited about it. Well, I'm excited to hear about that. And so for those out there listening these roughneck lifting lugs, they'll work for valves, they'll work for frack stacks, spools, bridges, and actually any connection with a UN8 series stud. And your patent covers anywhere from, what, one and an eighth inch to four inches, is that right? That's correct, yep. Anything from inch and an eighth to, to four inches, 
you know, they're just, the nice thing about them is they, they thread directly onto your equipment without any alterations. And, you know, the working load limits, obviously for the larger sizes can be greater, but nine and a half ton, I, you know, using two of them, I don't, I don't know what you'd be picking that you need to lift more than that. You'd have to have a pretty hefty set of chains. Okay. So that's roughnecklifters.com. Then you can also look you up on LinkedIn and we'll put your LinkedIn URL on there as well. So check out roughnecklifters.com. Thanks again, Levi, for, for coming on the show. Thanks to all of you for listening. As always, please tell your friends to listen. Post us on LinkedIn and your other social media. Leave us a review on iTunes. And please tune in again next week for another episode of Endress and Hauser's Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Endress and Hauser is your reliable partner for measurement instrumentation, services, and solutions. We are your people for process automation. As we said at the beginning of the show, discover more about Anderson Hauser by looking in the show notes for our website link and register for our monthly podcast giveaway there. You can also find the LinkedIn and Twitter links posted in the show notes as well. And hopefully we'll see you next time. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for February 2021. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events, the TAMU SPE Sporting Clays Tournament at Tonkaway Ranch in College Station on the 19th, and the Thrive Energy Conference at Minute Maid Park from the 24th to the 26th. The only online event we have this month is the TAMU SPE Executive Series with our very own Mark LaCour of Oil & Gas This Week on the 26th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for February. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.